If you wouldn't mind uh, opening your copy of the scriptures to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. And while you turn there, I just want to take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministries here at the Florence campus. And I love any opportunity that I get to serve our church family in this way by opening God's word and uh, seeing what God might say to us through his word this morning. Um, but as you're turning uh, to Matthew 22, I want to do a, uh, just a quick recap from last week because there's, there's a few kind of bedrock or foundational truths that Brad started uh, kind of sharing with us as we consider our new uh, series called Redeeming Work. Uh, and if, we, if you weren't here last week, I want to make sure you understand what we're working with. And if you were here last week, then it's just a great reminder before we uh, head into our, our topic for this morning. Uh, so Brad laid for us what I would consider two uh, incredibly foundational uh, truths um, when it comes to understanding uh, work. Uh, because we know that <laughs> for most of us, work takes up the majority of our time. Takes up the majority of our, our thinking power, our, our physical power, our, our time. Much of our time is spent on our work or our vocation. And so it's important for us to understand God's design for work. So he laid out two foundational truths, and the first one was this it was work is not a curse, it's a calling. Work is not a curse, it's a calling. You see, God, He, he gave Mankind work before the fall. That's vital for us to understand. The, the, the gift of work, the instruction to work, is pre-fall. Too often I think we see work as a curse, not a calling. Now, I want to make sure we understand our work has been affected by the curse. No doubt in my mind, we'll see that in scripture. We'll actually talk about that later in this series. But work in and of itself is not the curse. I think sometimes we kind of have this, um, this, whether we would say it this way or not, this understanding that work itself was what God was trying to punish Adam and Eve with. Like Adam and Eve, you know, ate from the tree, disobeyed God, and God's punishment was to make them work the rest of their lives. But that's, that's not what we see in scriptures. Work is God's calling on mankind because it was given before the fall. So that's bedrock truth, foundational truth number one is, is work is our calling. It is not our curse. But the second thing he said is also vitally important is work is not your identity. It is not your identity, but a way to glorify God and serve others. We do not worship our work. Your work, whatever it is, your vocation, whatever it is, makes a lousy idol. It is not worthy of being worshipped. It will leave you feeling wanted, or, or not wanted, but wanting. It will never satisfy. Your identity is not your vocation, but your vocation or your work is a way to glorify God and serve others. And it is this truth, this second truth that Brad introduced us or brought out um, last week that I've been tasked with unpacking some more today. This idea that work is not our identity, but a way to glorify God and to serve others. And to do this, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 22. And if you're there, look at verse 34 and following with me. Just so you know, I will be reading out of the ESV. Um, So just if you want to follow along or if you're using an app and you want to switch your translation, you're welcome to do that. 
Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 and following. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Would you pray with me as we start? Father, we need your help this morning. Lord, would you do what only you can do through your word? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you change us this morning? Would you help us to see work and vocation as a calling? And would you orient our perspective, our theology of work to fit what scripture has to say and not what the world would tell us? So Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you most importantly for dying on the cross for our sins that we might have life if we trust you. So thank you for that. And it's in your uh, precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So from the beginning, I want to acknowledge what I would consider the elephant in the room here. This text, as we read it, does not include the words work in it. As you read it, you're not going to see work, vocation, job. You're not going to see those words anywhere in this text. Nevertheless, these verses have radical implications for how we see and understand work and vocation today. In the context of this passage, Jesus is in a little bit of a kind of a verbal altercation with some of the religious leaders of his day. Uh, In fact, the Pharisees and Sadducees are kind of taking turns, kind of going after Jesus, and it is their hopes to trap him. They want to catch him saying something that would get him in trouble. Back in verse 15, which we did not read today, but it says, they went and plotted how to entangle him in words. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to test him. They wanted him to say something that would get himself in trouble. If you read any of uh, God's word, if you read through the gospels, you'll recognize that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they try this quite often and it never works. (laughs) They never get him in trouble. He never, uh, he ticks them off quite often, uh, but he never, they never really get him. So first what they did is they asked him about taxes, which that ticks off plenty of people, but Jesus handled that question just fine. Then he asked him about marriage and eternity, which he dealt with appropriately. And then we get to this next question in verse 36 that they ask him to test him. And it says, teacher, what is the greatest or great commandment in the law? What is the great commandment in the law? And his answer is simple. It's not long and drawn out. He doesn't go to wax eloquently about all of the great commandments and the old covenant law. No, he goes for a very simple explanation. Love God. And then he says there's a second right behind it. Love others. Love God. Love others. He says quite clearly this is the hinge that all of the law and the prophets rest on. And in fact, he may be giving a summary 
of what would best describe all that God would ask for people who follow him. Jesus lays it out for them. And for us today, there are some very important principles we can draw and understand from this text for our life today. Yet here is what I'm uh, afraid of or I'm a little concerned about. I believe we've taken these verses, love God and love others, and I, and I believe we've taken them and applied them to our church services or to our church life. I think we've taken these verses and applied them to our serving opportunities, whether they be you know, here in the church or outside the church. I think we've taken these verses, love God and love others, and we've applied them to our families. I think we've taken them and applied them to our evangelistic efforts, whether uh, it might be at work or in our neighborhoods or wherever the Lord might take us. But I think sometimes as the church, as uh, Christians, we have failed to take love God and love others and let it rule and reign over our work. We have failed to, to take this great truth of love God and love others and set it over our vocation and we treat our work as if it's something different. That somehow doesn't fit underneath this great glorious instruction from Jesus. We must bring what, what Jesus called the great commandment love God and love others, we must bring it and let it rule and reign over our work. They must function, and by they I still mean love God and love others, they must function as theological guide rails, or, or, or guardrails, excuse me, to help us live our calling with intention and purpose. And if we're able to do that, Family, if we're able to do that, to live out our love for God and our love for others in our work, it adds purpose to what is often seen as boring monotony. Chuck Colson said it very well when he said, knowing that we are fulfilling God's purpose is the only thing that really gives rest to the restless human heart. Jesus wants us to see love God and love others as instructions that should affect our whole life, especially our work. So it's because of this that our, our work has both vertical and horizontal implications or purpose. And so our first kind of fundamental purpose of work is simple. Your work is an opportunity to worship God. Your work is an opportunity to worship God. Our text says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. So as Jesus is answering the Pharisees here in Matthew 22, he gives a clear summary of all that is expected for those who would follow him. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, many people try to take this verse right here and kind of dissect it. You know, what does he mean by heart? What does he mean by mind? What does he mean by soul? They try to get these individual pieces and, well, what does it mean for me to love God this way and this way and this way? And can I just be honest with you? If we do that, I think we're missing the purpose of this text. 
We're missing the purpose of this text. It's, it's not about loving God here or here or here. It's about loving God with everything you have. It's about loving God with all of your life, worshiping him with everything you do and everything you say and in every area of your life. That is what he's talking about right here. So heart, soul, and mind is not these little three separate areas of your life. He's saying, I want all of you, every bit of you, total devotion, every area of your life. He wants you to love him in your leisure and in your spiritual disciplines. He wants you to love him in your serving. And then for today, I want, you to, I want to show you, he wants you to love him in your work. This total devotion, this total complete surrender, this is what we call worship. We need to banish the idea that worship is only something we do on Sunday. Worship is not just simply singing or raising our hands to praise the Lord, although that's part of it. Worship is a giving of yourself and serving and obeying and living for the Lord in all things, every area of your life. Worship is doing everything you do in a way that honors, in a way that adores, and in a way that makes much of Jesus. So when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he's saying, I want all of you. I want all of you. I remember um, when the Lord started to bring this truth to bear in my life in a, in a new and kind of uh, fresh way. I was a freshman in college. Uh, I just moved from, uh, from Germany where I was going to high school. I had just moved here to northern Kentucky. Um, and I was reading this book that just wrecked my world, just totally rocked me. I was reading Desiring God by John Piper. And one of the things that I'd realized I had spent most of my life doing is compartmentalizing God. You know, you know, God, yeah, you can rule and reign over my church life. God, yeah, you can rule and reign over, you know, my, uh, my friendships maybe. But I, I spent all this time trying to push God in certain areas and kind of keep him out of ones that I didn't really want him to be a part of. And one of the things that the Lord did with this book as I was reading it is he showed me, just quite honestly, that he wanted every part of my life. That worship is devotion with every area, every spot, every bit of my life. And it was really helpful for me because since I was living in Europe through high school, I couldn't actually hold uh, a real job. My, my work was studying, which is a real vocation and work. You have to do that. But when I came back my freshman year of college, I got to really get my first real paid job. And I was faced with very real questions of, can I honor the Lord? Am I honoring the Lord as I wait tables? Am I serving and, and giving glory to the Lord when I'm tearing down tables or setting up for an event, is this really something that's taking so much of my time? Is it just about me making money? Or does God want something more from my work? And so in a kind of formative time in my life, I was uh, just challenged to make all of my life about him. And work was a newer area of my life to consider this about. So I think we must understand that when Jesus is answering this question here, he is asking you for all of you. Do not neglect your, vo your vocation when it comes to love God and love others. 
We must bring this scripture to bear on every area of our life. And today, we're talking about your work. Uh, in the Gospel at Work, a book that was written by Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert, you have this in your outline. There's just a great summary uh, of this idea, and I want to read it for you together here. It says, your love for God should motivate you to work no matter the particulars of what you do with your whole heart. If you are a mother, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. If you are a student, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. If you make cars, close sales, litigate, or medicate, do it as if you are working for the Lord himself. Because you are. You love God. Therefore, work with all of your heart. You are meant to worship God in your work. Not, listen, not just once you've finished it. Worship is not a weekend spiritual discipline. Worship is an everyday lifestyle. So this now begs the question, all right, Ryan, thank you for the, the big picture explanation how uh, work needs to be a part of my worship. But Ryan, what, how do I do that? Like, what does that actually even look like? Well, I think, and there's a, there's a billion ways to answer that question. There are two particular ways or things that I want to draw your attention to as we consider how might I work to the glory of God. And I think the two primary areas of our life that we need to consider in our work is our effort and our attitude. Our effort and our attitude. You see, we are to love and worship God in our work. You're going to hear me say that about 70 million more times. Um, it's not because I just have nothing else to say. It's because I want you guys to get it and us to understand it because it will change our life. So let me say it again. We are to love and worship God in our work. Whether you put labels on boxes at a, at a warehouse, whether you wait tables or clean teeth, teach in your own home or at a school, or are a full-time student, we must apply ourselves to work hard and honor the Lord in your vocation, in your work. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is actually instructing kind of the family unit on right living in light of the gospel. And then he says these words. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. That's Colossians 3.23. Now depending on your translation, if, if that's something you flip to, um, depending on your translation, who that's written to actually differs a little bit or how it's phrased. In some Bibles it says bond servants, in some Bibles it says servants, and in some Bibles it says slaves, depending on your translation. So one thing I want to note just as we're considering this is slavery during the New Testament was nothing like what we've experienced here in North America. It was nothing like the institution of slavery here in North America. Oh, excuse me. Let me explain that just for a moment. In the New Testament, most of what you would read about slaves is um, a contractual labor agreement. So many people would... Um, uh, Agree to this, uh, to this contra contract with an employer, basically, to serve, to pay off debt. 
And so when we consider or hear this word slave, particularly here, that's why Paul could actually write and say slave or bondservant or servant and say, work with all your might because he wasn't, you know, um, he wasn't encouraging the North American institution of slavery here. He's encouraging employed people to work with all their might. And so when we consider this, this, this piece of Colossians chapter 3, um, we need to understand that, that our principles here in this text um, very much apply to your employer and employee relationship that we have today. And so when, when Paul in Colossians 3 says, work for the Lord because that's who you're actually working for, that applies to you wherever you're at today. If I were to ask you in this room um, to list your, your place of employment and what you do, I'd probably have three or four hundred, not probably more than that, five hundred different answers. And here's what I would say. No matter where you're at, the Lord has the same call on your life. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so what that means, as you serve your employer, you work your tail off. You do the best of your ability because you're working for Jesus, ultimately. Does that make sense? You can see how how that great truth can influence and impact everything you do, no matter where you work. You see, your employment is, is really truly to the Lord and not to that earthly employer. It has radical implications for how you wake up on that Monday morning and have to get up out of bed when that alarm clock goes off. Now, has sin affected work? Absolutely. It is hard. But it's not taken away its purpose. It's not destroyed the intention. We get to worship God as we work. So practically speaking, what are some ways that that, that actually works itself out? Well, if you have a time you're supposed to be at work, I think one of the best ways you can honor the Lord is be there on time. Show up when you're supposed to show up as a service to the Lord. Bring your A effort. Work hard as unto the Lord. Maybe there's some areas that you're uh, deficient in that would really help your employer or you do your job. Well, improve in them. Seek to grow in them. See that as an investment and see that as a, a worship of Jesus. Honor the Lord in your vocation. Be a team player. It's not just me and everybody else. And Brad mentioned this last week, and I I appreciate it, so I wanted to say it again. He said, don't rob your employer. Now, he wasn't talking literally, which you shouldn't do that. (laughs) But, But he was talking about misusing your time on the job. We should be the best workers possible. Use our time the best way we can and the best way we know. We should give the effort, the best effort that we have. Because we are serving who? God, not man. Your work matters. If you're going to fulfill Matthew 22 and Christ's call to love God, we will do our work to the best of our abilities. We will give the best effort we have. And I'll just, be, I'll just be honest with you guys. I think many of you in this room do an excellent job of this. I think many of you 
really see your job, your work, your vocation as an opportunity to love Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that. Many of you have been great examples to me in this. But some of you need to be reminded of this this morning. That how you do your job matters to Jesus, not just your employer. It matters. So effort. We must give our best effort, our best effort to serve our employer or however it works itself out in your job because we love Jesus and want to see him displayed. But there's another area, uh, not just effort, that I think is really important for us to understand, and it's this area of attitude. How we go about our work or our, our countenance at work or even how we talk about work. Even if you are the best at what you do, but your attitude at work stinks, are you really loving God well? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, are you loving God well? If your attitude towards work, how you talk about work, how you talk to others about work, does not match God's attitude towards, towards work, is that okay? Maybe you produce the best product your company has to offer, but your character couldn't be further from the Christ-like. Do we just toss this up and say, well, this is work. Work is just different. I don't think we can do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. God wants all of you, and your work is a major part of that. How do you carry yourself at work? Do those watching you see someone who is thankful for their job and sees their job as a blessing even when it's really hard? How we communicate at work matters. If you think about Colossians 4, 5, and 6, it says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Can you, can you say, and friends, I've got loads to grow in this, so hear me say that. But can you say that your speech at work, at your vocation, whatever it is, is seasoned, is gracious, always gracious and seasoned with salt? This is the kind of attitude Jesus would have you uh, embody at work. Here's another example. Now, it is not wrong to look forward to the weekend. Okay? It's not wrong to look forward to spending time with your family. Maybe even some of the leisure things you're going to be able to take part in. But as I said about something else earlier, leisure makes a lousy idol. If you pursue with all your life the weekend, what you're going to do on the weekend, the the leisure activities you're going to be uh, a part of, those things will never satisfy you. You're going to finish that weekend Sunday night and go to bed and say, I can't wait till Friday night. So are we just supposed to live Monday through Friday? And I know not everybody has the same work schedule, but just hear me out. Are we supposed to live Monday through Friday as just kind of a grin and bear it kind of Christian? 
I don't think that's what we see in Scripture. We see a joy-filled working for the glory of God. God calls work good. It is our calling, not a curse. How you think about and talk about your specific work and work in general really matters to God. Parents, can I speak to you for a second? If you, if you have, a, uh, have a kid, I want to I speak to you for a second. I have five kids, uh, ages almost eight, all the way down to three months. Do you realize how you talk about work in your home is helping your kids develop their theology about work? Like how you talk about it with your kids or around the dinner table really matters for how your kids are going to grow up and think about work. I've not done this perfectly. But I really want my kids to see this in me. That work is God's call on my life to worship him. I want my kids to understand that daddy loves working even when it's hard. I want my kids to hear daddy talk about work as, an, as a blessing and not in itself a curse. I want my kids to see a joy-filled daddy as he goes to work. I want my kids to love work, not as an idol, but love work as an opportunity to love Jesus. So how you talk about it in your home really matters. It really matters. If I were to ask those closest to you how you talk about your job, what would they say? How you talk about it with your friends or how are you talking about it once you get home as you're sitting at the dinner table? If I were to ask those closest to you, how would they say you talk about it? Would they describe you as a person that has joy in his job, his or her job, no matter what the actual job entails? Like, would they, would they say, he, he goes to work, and he's faithful, and he, he or she serves the Lord, and, and doesn't complain? Would that be what's said about you? I hope so. I really hope so. But I've worked enough years and I haven't always worked in the church. I've held multiple jobs before I've worked in the church. And we're good at complaining. When I worked at the Marriott, um, they had this special signal for a smoke break. They would go like this. And so that was the call for everybody to go out and smoke. I, I obviously didn't smoke, but I wanted a break too. <laughs> so, so I'd go outside and we would talk. And honestly, the most common topic of conversation was complaining about our boss or complaining about our spouse. That should not be typical of a believer. We stand out when we live for the Lord at our jobs and how we talk about our work and how we talk about other people really matters. If we only talk about work as a curse, we are actually rebelling against God's God-given design for our lives. It's rebellion against God. Because we're shaking our fists and saying, we would have designed this better. I would have figured this to work out a little bit differently. 
Your attitude towards work and at work will reveal your true theology of work. In this text in Matthew 22, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, he's actually referencing Deuteronomy chapter 6. And many of the the religious leaders would have picked up on that right away. He was referencing the beginning of what was called the Shema, which in kind of devout Jewish homes would have been recited multiple times a day. Multiple times a day. And if we, if we were to read it, we're not going to, but he, he, he tells them to, the Lord tells them to remember these words, to teach them to their children, to talk about in their homes as they're walking and laying down. They're told to bind them on their hand and write them on their do- doorposts and the gates of their house. The, the main idea here is always remember these things. These should define you. While later in history, the Jews kind of took these on as um, Less than metaphorical, they actually practiced doing all these things. They would bind things to themselves. And uh, I think the goal of what Jesus was communicating here, but also what God was communicating in Deuteronomy 6, is to love God with everything you have. Imagine that, with everything you have. So when he said all of these things are supposed to do with this passage, just love God, love God, love God, he's just telling them, Put it everywhere. Remember it everywhere. Consider it all the time because you're going to need it. You're going to need to remember this. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. Work is an opportunity for us to worship God. And I'm telling you, this is hard. Because there are things about our jobs that we don't want to do. We don't enjoy all of our jobs. So my first job was at a Marriott working in banquets, so often taking care of big parties or business meetings. I worked a lot of weddings there, um, so took care of a lot of uh, wedding receptions. And I'll never forget one of these times where I really started to question, God, is this really good? God, are you sure I can honor you with this? I was taking care of a wedding party, and uh, I started to catch this uh, interesting aroma as I was walking around this wedding. It was particularly poor when I was nearest to the dance floor. And so it started to be really bad. It was not the filet mignon. (laughs) As I investigated and as we investigated, we found human feces on the dance floor. Yeah, no place is sacred anymore. The dance floor, the wedding... It wasn't just there, it was there. It had been danced upon for a while. So I had an opportunity. (laughs) What am I going to do with this? Smoke break? No. (laughs) Am I going to go to the restroom and not come back for an hour? Or am I going to get the mop and the stinking bucket? Get everyone off the dance floor and mop it up. That's what I did. And I think that was a very real opportunity (laughs) to love God more than myself. Because everything in me wanted to clock out and leave. But God wants all of me, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it stinks. Right? I don't know all of your jobs. 
I know most of you would say there are things about your job you don't like. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're working at Amazon or, or, or Kroger or you, de- you develop web design or whatever it is, there are, there are bound to be things about your job you don't like. We have an opportunity every day to honor the Lord. So friends, can I encourage you? Let's do it. Let's together be the church and not just huddle together, but glorify God in our work with all of our effort and the best attitude by the grace of God we can bring to the table. Let's do it. So there is a vertical, very important vertical understanding or impact of uh, this theology of loving God and loving others towards work. But there's also, there's a, there's a horizontal piece that I think we forget. Your work is an opportunity to serve others. Your work is an opportunity to serve others. Jesus' second part of his response starts in verse uh, 39. It says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The ESV study note, I just loved it too much. I wanted to read it to you. It's not uh, not in your bulletin, but it just says very simply, this love signifies a concrete responsibility to seek the greatest good of one's neighbor. A concrete responsibility to seek the greatest good of one's neighbor. Friends, do you realize that as you do your best work, you're blessing your neighbor? As you write code and serve food and do laundry, provide customer service, you insert whatever your vocation is. Do you realize as you do your best work, you are a blessing to other people? I think, unfortunately, in an attempt to place a high value on, uh, on the gospel and on eternity, um, we usually only talk about work when it comes to evangelism. And that's a very important topic. But I think in that desire to, to make much of the gospel, we sometimes fail to place appropriate value on working for the good of others. Tom Nelson in his book, Work Matters, says the work we are called to do is a God-ordained means where we, in very tangible ways, care for God's good world, contribute to the needs of others, and foster common good. I think in our desire to be all about the gospel, we've forgotten what the gospel does in people. We're blessing to other people as we do our great work. This is a biblical perspective of common good and common grace. And we need to take note. We are to love God and we are also to love others. One passage that comes to mind when I considered kind of how do we unpack this idea is Galatians chapter 6. So could you turn there? We'll only be there for a few moments. But Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and 10 reads like this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those of the household of faith. 
So God does have a special love and care for those of the household of God. But he also seems to care for everyone, as the text would tell us. That when you have the opportunity, do good to everyone. As you work for God's glory, that vertical purpose, you get to do good to other people. Think about it for a moment. If we were to, uh, on Monday, the entire world decided we're not working anymore. Carried into Tuesday and into Wednesday, and it just never stopped. Like, we never started going back to work and doing the things that we do. Can you think of all the issues we would have? Just consider with me for one moment, what did you eat for breakfast? Did you eat eggs? Maybe some toast? I don't know if you drank some coffee. Maybe you had coffee here. Think about for just a moment, how did you get those things? For most of us, most of us picked those up at the store. Some of us don't, but most of us picked those up at the store. Do you think of the army at Kroger that it takes to make sure all those shelves are stocked and cared for? Can you think about all of the people that it takes to actually get the product to Kroger? Then think about all the people that are actually producing and helping, helping actually bring about, not really creating, but bringing about these things. If they don't work, I lose weight. <laughs> Best diet plan ever. No. You don't eat without people doing their job. We have the opportunity to contribute to the common good that is a blessing to others. Think about your house. Most of you have electricity and water. Some of you have internet and TV. Um, If people don't service that, our house starts to get uncomfortable. I mean, like yesterday was a hot day in our house. If we don't have AC, it's not just barely under 80. it's, It's like 90. And when I go to bed... Normally, I want to turn my fan on to try to cool myself off because we don't keep it at like 70 all day long because we can't afford it. And, but I can't turn on a fan. There's no electricity in my house. Think about all of the different ways that your vocation is a blessing to other people. And it upholds kind of the, the common good of mankind. Just the other day, I needed some light bulbs. I just done, finished replacing some, and I usually like to keep a stash on hand because you know, nobody wants to be out of light bulbs when they need a light bulb. It just never works out well. So what do you do when you're out of light bulbs? Amazon Prime. That's what I do. Think about all the people that go into getting me those bulbs right to my doorstep. From the web developers and people who care for the website to the people who package and and put labels on it to make sure it gets delivered, for the people who drive it to my doorstep. I'm thankful that they did their job. And I enjoy the fruit of their labor. I think we have radically underestimated that our work is for the common good of people. That your work... Whatever your vocation is, we need to just remember and take 30 seconds sometimes and say, God, how does this a blessing to anybody? And I think what you will find very quickly is there are ways you are being a blessing to other people, where you are loving other people. How does your work 
allow you in its own unique way to be a blessing to others. We need to get rid of our low, unhelpful, unbiblical view of work. Let's take every opportunity to work as worship to God and as a blessing and service to other people. In his article, um, Pastor J.R. Vassar, he wrote this article called Your Greatest Missional Context, Your Vocation. And he just explained kind of a, just a, a great summary for us um, as we consider our work. He says this, Christianity creates no division of secular and sacred. Every task we undertake, paid or not, is to be done for God. Your job whether you are building something, cooking a meal, changing a diaper, or sweeping the floor, is for his pleasure and is done in his presence. The Jesus that calls you to live this way, the the Jesus that said love God and love others, embodied the very thing he called you to perfectly on the cross. You realize that? Jesus is great work, was coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, being raised again to walk in new life, providing a way for you and I, if we trust in him, to have eternal life. Jesus saw his work with those same vertical and horizontal uh, perspective. He knew he was in obedience and service to the Father as he walked this out, and he knew he was loving us well when he died on the cross. So that's, our greatest hope. That if we have been bought by the blood of Jesus, then we know we can work for the glory of God and for the good of other people. We can take seriously God's call on our life to be workers like he is, not workaholics, but workers to the glory of God. Wherever you're at, friends, You name your vocation, and I think we could find a way that it fits into this great call. So what I want to do as we finish is I want to just ask you to stand with me. And we're going to sing of that great work with which we just talked about. We're going to sing about how Jesus has made us new. And as you think about what Christ has done for you in the cross, I want to ask you, consider what he might want to do in you and through you, if you'll work for his glory, for other people, if we'll love God and love others with all that we have.